Hi everybody, this is Gat Saad. In several of my uh, published works, most notably in my 2007 book, The Evolutionary Basis of Consumption, I explain how the evolutionary lens could be applied to countless disciplines. So not just the traditional disciplines of biology and medicine and psychology, but the evolutionary lens could be applied to literary analyses, to history, to uh, computation, to architecture, uh, to economics. And so wherever there are living organisms, the evolutionary lens is certainly relevant. And so today what I'd like to do is discuss how you could apply a Darwinian analysis or an evolutionary lens to the law. And so this comes from my first book, my 2007 book, The Evolutionary Basis of Consumption. It's from pages 11 through 13. I'm just going to read them for you. And maybe at some point I should just narrate my 2007 book to start with, uh, because that book has never been uh, turned into an audiobook. It's a more technical book. It's an academic book, so it is not meant for the you know general public, but one can still read it. And so until and if I end up uh, producing a narrated version of that first academic book, for today, I will restrict my reading to a set of passages from pages 11 through 13, where I explain how uh, one can apply a Darwinian analysis to specific legal edicts. So here we go. By conducting a content analysis of various legal and moral codes, one can identify the ultimate Darwinian roots driving a particular rule of conduct. For example, Hammurabi's code, named after the Babylonian ruler, consisting of 282 laws, is the oldest known legal code dating to approximately 4,000 years ago, making it older than Mosaic law. Several of the laws deal with adultery, chastity, infertility, and incest in manners that are well in line with evolutionary psychology. A few of the relevant codes are listed next as translated by King, 1915a, 1915b. So this is Code 128 from Hammurabi's Codes. If a man take a woman to wife but have no intercourse with her, this woman is no wife to him. Code 129. If a man's wife be surprised in flagrante delicto with another man, both shall be tied and thrown into the river, but the husband may pardon his wife and the king his slaves. Code 130. If a man violate the wife, be, be trothed, or child wife of another man who has never known a man and still lives in her father's house and sleep with her and be surprised, this man shall be put to death, but the wife is blameless. Code 131. If a man bring a charge against one's wife, but she is not surprised with another man, she must take an oath and then may return to her house. Code 135. If a man be taken prisoner in war and there be no sustenance in his house and his wife go to another house and bear children, and if later her husband return and come to his home, then this wife shall return to her husband, but the children follow their father. Code 155. If a man betroth a girl to his son, and his son have intercourse with her, but he, the father, afterward defile her and be surprised, then he shall be bound and cast into the river, into the water, i.e. drowned. Two more codes. Code 156, if a man betroth a girl to his son, but his son has not known her, and if then he defile her, he shall pay her 
half a gold mina and compensate her for all that she brought out of her father's house. She may marry the man of her heart. And Code 157, if anyone be guilty of incest with his mother after his father, both shall be burned. And so now next what I do is I offer an evolutionary analysis of each of these codes. So code 128, the first one that I mentioned, recognizes that the reproductive act defines a human mating pair, Darwinian fitness. Code 129 explicitly states that cuckoldry is a capital offense, i.e. it's a form of protection against paternity uncertainty. Code 130 recognizes that because chastity is a desired trait in women, insurance against paternity uncertainty, a man that, quote, steals this valuable insurance is punishable by death. Code 131 highlights the fact that proofs of cuckoldery are difficult to obtain unless the cheating spouse is caught in the act. Paternity certainty is difficult to gauge. Remember, we didn't evolve with DNA paternity tests. Code 135 explicitly states that a man should not have to invest in the offspring of another when it is clear that he is not the father. Code 157 recognizes the dangers of incestuous couplings. One of the reasons for the evolution of sex is to create a heterogeneous gene pool. Finally, codes 155 and 156 stipulate different penalties on a father if he defiles his son's woman. The penalties are contingent on the chastity status of the woman. At first glance, it might appear paradoxical that the penalty is less severe if the woman is a virgin. This appears counterintuitive given the premium that men have historically placed on chastity. However, from a paternity certainty perspective, this makes perfect sense. Sleeping with a woman who has yet to take a man does not trigger any paternity uncertainty as long as the woman does not sleep with another. However, if the son has already mated with the woman prior to her dalliance with the father, this creates the condition for paternity uncertainty, a much more serious threat from an evolutionary perspective resulting in the harsher penalty. So note here that what I've done is I've taken the oldest legal code, Hammurabi's code, and I've offered evolutionary-based reasoning for each of the codes that I've quoted. Let's go on. Similar codes exist in countless societies and religions. For example, in Judaism, one's religion is passed via the mother precisely because one can never be certain as to who the father is. In Sharia law, Islamic religious code, very stiff penalties are dispensed to women adulterers. Example, the recent and highly contentious case in Nigeria. Well, recent in when I wrote the book. Crime passionnel is an accepted defense in many countries, specifically... If a man catches his wife in flagrante delicto, i.e. in the act, and causes her injury or even death, he can be legally acquitted. See, for example, 19th century France or current day Brazil. This does not imply that such practices should be condoned or are justifiable from an evolutionary perspective. Rather, it suggests that to the extent that these patterns recur across eras and cultures, evolutionary psychologists seek to understand the ultimate roots of these behaviors. Dykeman 1975 has argued that many practices such as foot, foot binding in China, sequestering, example in harems, and modest dress codes under Sharia are meant to ensure chastity, thus increasing, increasing a man's paternity certainty. Strassman 1992 and 1996 proposed that women's sequestration during their menses are quite similar 
cross-culturally and serve as honest signals of their reproductive status states, thus augmenting men's paternity certainty. Other draconian practices meant to control women's sexuality, including the wearing of a chastity belt and the dreadful practices of infibulation and clitoridectomy can be found in numerous cultures. Each of the latter historical examples is rooted in a common Darwinian heritage, which by definition transcends time and place. The Spanish philosopher Jose Ortega y Gasset famously asserted that, quote, man has no nature. What he has is history, close quote, as quoted in Pinker, 2002, page 24. He was incorrect. The history of our species is a manifestation of our human nature. Human history does not lie outside of human nature. Rather, it occurs in part because of it. So this comes from pages uh, 11 through 13 in The Evolutionary Basis of Consumption. So what I've done here is offer you a way by which we can take uh, products, in this case, a legal code from several thousand years ago and shown you how even though those people who developed those codes, the Hammurabi's code, the uh, you know, seem to have lived in a very different time period, they were operating with the exact same software in their brain that you and I have, right? Uh, they don't know what an iPhone is. They don't know what an iPad is. They don't know what a plane is, but they are incredibly similar in the key drivers in their lives. You know, sexual infidelity, paternity uncertainty, chastity, uh, and the rest of the key evolutionary themes that drive much of literature, for example. So here is an example of how you can use the evolutionary lens to understand how legal codes are developed around the world. Yes, some legal codes are different around the world across cultures but many legal codes are exactly the same across and you know across very different cultures precisely because they speak to a shared human nature there you have it folks i hope that you enjoyed this episode on evolutionary based legal thinking uh, until next time take care cheers